In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the kids and teens up through the 12th grade please come forward. morning. How's everybody? You good? You know, we talk about all sorts of things here, but today I want to pray and I want you to pray with me. Put your hands together. Put them up in the air. Put them up in the air. Everybody look up. Oh God, thank you for making me better than everybody in here. Thank you for making me smarter and more handsome than everybody in here. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given me things that I can keep to myself and not have to share with others. You are a good God. Amen. <laughs> what? What? No amen? Why would you not amen that? You're not handsome? And? Oh, I was... Praying only for myself. Pray for other people. So, are you saying that I did it wrong? Yes. Yes. You're probably right. Well, no, you're not probably right. You are right. Yeah. So, what? How about this? Let's let's put our hands together and let's lower our heads. Oh, Father God, how great a God you are, and I am a sinner, and I am sorry for all the things I do wrong. I want to do right, Lord, but I am so sorry for the things I do wrong, and I confess my sins. Help me to reach out to people, Lord, and to love them like you love them, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What was wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing? That was okay? Is that how we're supposed to pray? That's what the gospel taught us a while ago, isn't it? When the Pharisee went in and he prayed, and they used to look up to heaven, God, I thank you, I'm not like that tax collector. Right? Jeremy, right, bud? Yeah? Yeah? You know, God teaches us to be, the second prayer, there's a word that goes with that, humble, right? God wants us to be humble, and he wants us to recognize that according to our uh, compare, uh, comparing ourselves with God, we are really nothing. God is so great that when we look at ourselves, nothing. But God loves us so much that he makes us something. And we have to recognize that when compared to other people, God wants all of us to be his. And he wants all of us to love him and each other. And he wants us to help each other do the right thing. By loving one another. So I'm proud of y'all for knowing the difference between the right way to pray and the wrong way to pray. Huge difference, wasn't there? The second way, we were practicing humility. We were being humble. The first way, we were being really proud. That's not right, is it? We or you? What do you mean? I, I was praying for all of us. You're right. It was me. It was me. 
All right. So thank you for coming up here. And if you want to get a packet, you can get one from Mr. Doremus over there. Or you can go back to the choir or wherever you want to go. Thank you, sir. seem to be stuck on golf jokes the last couple of weeks. So there's this golfer now in his golden years. He had had a lifelong ambition to play a certain hole at Pebble Beach, California, the way the pros play it. The pros, they drive the ball out over the water onto the green that is on a spit of land that juts just off the coast. It was something he had tried to do hundreds of times without success. His ball would fall short into the ocean every single time. Well, because of this, he never used a new ball on this particular hole. He would always pick one that was extra dirty or had a nick in it or a cut in it or something. And recently, he went to Pebble Beach to try it again. And when he came to that fateful hole, he teed up an old cut ball, said a silent prayer. And before he hit the ball, a powerful voice came from above and said, wait, replace that old ball with a brand new ball. The man complied and with some slight misgiving, despite the fact that the Lord seemed to be implying that he was going to let him finally achieve this lifelong ambition. So he stepped up to the tee once more with the new ball on the tee. Voice came down again, wait, step back, take a practice swing. So he stepped back and took a practice swing. The voice boomed out again, take another practice swing. He did. Silence followed. And then the voice broke out again. Put the old ball back. <laughs> I tell you what, I don't know about you, but yesterday was a very strange day. First, I found a hat full of money on the sidewalk. And then shortly thereafter, I was chased by an angry man with a guitar. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> Jerusalem was set high up on a mountain. And the temple was set on a high point in that city which was a fitting location for the temple of God. His, this, its, its location said something about the holiness of God. Wherever you might be, you have to look up to see the temple. You had to go up to be in the temple. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of men, even like this tax collector 
And then the Pharisee recounted all of his habits that made him superior. He fasted more often than required, gave lots of money to the temple. He could have gone on and on because he was Mr. Good Citizen personified. I'm sure he was a good father, a good husband. He paid his debts and he paid them on time. He studied the scriptures, attended synagogue religiously. He was a proud man and he had good reason to be proud. The tax collector, on the other hand, was not proud. He had sold himself to the Romans. He collected the taxes that made it possible for the Romans to garrison soldiers in Israel. He helped the Romans to keep his own countrymen under their heel. It was a dirty job, but it paid quite well. The tax collector went to a far corner of the temple where he could be alone in his shame. He couldn't even look up to heaven as was the custom to do when you prayed in those days. He was ashamed. He had good reason to be ashamed. Head down, spirit broken, he prayed, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, that had to be one of the most shocking truth stories Jesus told in those days. It was unheard of to say that a tax collector was more justified than a Pharisee. But we love that story because there's something in it that, likes to, that helps us to see that the underdog wins. We love that story because there's something in us that likes to see the mighty brought down to their place. We love that story because we feel ordinary and we resent the person who is not ordinary, the person who has everything, serves him right, we say. It evens the score out a bit. But the people to whom Jesus first told this story, they didn't love it. Jesus told this story to certain people who were convinced of their own righteousness, who despised all others. Those people had much in common with the Pharisees in Jesus' parable, and they understood that Jesus was making them the butt of the story. They hated the story, and they hated Jesus for telling it, hated him enough to kill him later on. But we love it. We love it when Jesus knocks self-righteous snobs down a notch or two. But we have to be careful of Jesus' parables because if we're not careful, we find ourselves to be the butt of the story. Jesus didn't give us the parables to entertain us or to make us feel good about ourselves. Jesus gave us parables to bring us closer to God. Sometimes moving close, closer to God can be very painful. 
Moving closer to God probably will require us to change our ways. Jesus gave us parables to call us to spiritual growth, to change our hearts and the direction of our lives, and that is almost always painful or at least uncomfortable. Look at the parable again. Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of men, especially like this tax collector. God did not honor that prayer. That prayer was full of pride. It was full of self. The Pharisee was so full of himself that he had no room left in his heart to receive God's mercy. And so God did not provide mercy. Let me repeat that because it's important. The Pharisee was so full of himself that he had no space left in his heart to receive God's mercy, and so God gave him no mercy. God, I thank you that I am not like that tax collector. You know, it's easy enough to see why God would distance himself from this snob. But as we hear this story, we need to ask if we might be guilty of the same sin. We probably don't pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. But perhaps we do pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee. Isn't that the same prayer? Let me repeat that again because it is important. Perhaps we do pray, God, I thank you that I am not like that Pharisee. The same prayer that got the Pharisee into trouble, isn't it? Maybe you're like me and you are beginning to feel the nasty hook at the end of this parable. Most of the parables have a nasty hook in there somewhere. We're always glad because the hook snags the bad guys. But when we hear the parable clearly, it might snag us as well. The Pharisee's problem was that he felt no need of God's mercy, and so God did not give him mercy. The Pharisee's problem was that he felt no need for God's forgiveness, and so God did not grant him forgiveness. The Pharisee's problem was that he was such a good person, at least when compared to the tax collector. The Pharisee could measure himself against the sinfulness of this tax collector and feels six feet tall. But this parable teaches us not to measure ourselves against the sinfulness of the tax collector or the sinfulness of the Pharisee or the sinfulness of the town drunk or the sinfulness of a recently fallen politician. This parable teaches us to measure ourselves against the holiness of God. When we do that, we will see that we might be only an inch taller than the other person, but we are miles short of the holiness of God. God created us in his image. God created us to be holy as he is holy. And we've missed the mark, not by a little, but by a lot. We cannot pray, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. We can only pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
That's the message of this parable. In fact, that's why we came here today to pray for and to receive the mercy of God. We have sinned and we come to be forgiven. We have failed and we come to ask God for help. We are broken and we come to God for mending. And when we come to God for mercy, God gives us mercy. And when we come to God for forgiveness, God forgives us. The good news is that our relationship to God does not depend on our perfection because there is none in us. It depends on what Christ did on the cross for us. And that is indeed the good news. Let me close with this story. The Russian novelist Yevtushenko was born in 1933. He tells of his memory of something that took place when he was eight years old. The Germans had invaded Russia and had killed millions of Russians and would kill millions more. But sometimes the Germans lost a battle and Yevtushenko as a child had a chance to see defeated Germans face to face. This is what he writes. In 1941, Mama took me to Moscow. There I saw our enemy for the first time. If my memory is right, nearly 20,000 German war prisoners were to be marched in a single column through the streets of Moscow. The pavements were swarmed with onlookers cordoned off by soldiers and police. The crowd were mostly women, Russian women with hands roughened by hard work, lips untouched by lipstick, thin hunched shoulders which had borne half the burden of the war. Every one of them must have a father or a husband or a brother or a son killed by the Germans. They gazed with hatred in the direction from which the column was to appear. At last we saw it, he said. The generals marched at the head, massive chins stuck out, lips folded disdainfully. Their whole demeanor meant to show superiority to, over the plebeian victors. The women began clenching their fist in hate. The soldiers and the policemen had all they could do to hold them back. But all at once, something happened to them. They saw the German soldiers, thin, unshaven, wearing dirty, blood-stained bandages, hobbling on crutches, leaning on the shoulders of their comrades. The soldiers walked with their heads down. The streets became dead silent. The only sound was the shuffling of boots and the thumping of crutches. And then I saw an elderly woman in broken down boots push herself forward to touch a policeman's shoulder saying, let me through. There must have been something about her that made him step aside. And she went up to the column 
took from inside her coat something wrapped in a colored, colored handkerchief and unfolded it. It was a crust of black bread. She pushed it awkwardly into the pocket of a soldier so exhausted that he was tottering on his feet. And now suddenly from every side, women were running toward the soldiers, pushing into their hands bread, cigarettes, whatever they had. The soldiers were no longer enemies. They were people. The response of that crowd to the German soldiers mirrors that of God to the Pharisee and the tax collector. The generals at the front of the march offended people with their arrogance. They asked no mercy, they received no mercy. The foot soldiers further back were a different story. They were broken, beaten men, and the crowd could not help but respond to their brokenness. And so it is with us. When we are riding high, smug, and self-satisfied, we feel no need of grace, and we receive no grace. But our seasons of brokenness reminds us of our need, and they prepare us to receive the grace God has to give. St. John tells us in his first letter, when we repent of our sins, God forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. That's the gospel. When we confess our sins, God forgives us our sins and he cleanses us for, from all unrighteousness. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.